So one of our guests today, Pastor Francis, pretty much gives us a take that could be the answer to 95% of the world's problems. People hating each other, demonizing one another, and not even trying to love. I want you to hear this before we proceed. You need to be close to people that the heart to understand what your culture is, what you are going through. You'll be able to put your place in their shoes also to understand the struggles they go through. And God has not made any mistake by putting that kind of differences in it. He's trying to create a kind of harmony. I want to see beyond the culture. I want to see beyond the riches, but I want to see the heart of the people. So for me, from the spiritual level, Sin is sin. Having mammon at the place of God is like having idols. It is important for us to to have our hearts circumcised, to be able to release everything and give it to God, bring it to the cross. Your struggles are your struggles, and other people also have struggles. So we look at it from different angles. It still is taking us away from God. Fame, power, sex, idols, just bring it before the cross and say, Lord, this is my struggle. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? Okay, that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As, a, as an individual or as, yeah, a podcast? as a person? No, I like you. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed a Nebuchadnezzar statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. Jack, do you like Katie? Walters? Oh, Katie Walters. I I was waiting for the last name. I was like, listen, I got to know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, of course. Okay. So if Francis and Benedict, like beautiful dresses, I'm not going to lie. You've seen them, right? The skirts, like Mm -hmm. very beautiful, vibrant, colorful. If they started making suits for men, would you wear one of those? Oh, man. You just said you you like her. She's your friend. I, I... don't would, back out now. No, I would absolutely at least try one on. I so I I am <laughs> I am a fashion coward. Okay, so this is we're getting to little known facts about Jack. I actually really really like. Um, I like dressing well. I'm also cheap, which keeps me from dressing well. I'm trying to be better about like actually buying really high quality stuff. I would so envy a person who could pull off a Francis and Benedict suit. I genuinely would, because that would look amazing. I don't think I could pull it off. If I could pull it off, I absolutely would. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to give you my theory. I presented to Katie the basically the tension that I could imagine going to a developing country, basically yeah. seeing what those people live without, and then coming back to living in Charleston as middle class, very rich mm-hmm. to those folks. I think, and I'll, I'm just speaking for myself, I think I could be, and I, you know, I talk about this with Katie, I think I could be way more generous than what I am, yeah. way more selfless. Uh, I don't think I'm like a super stingy person, but I think that there always be room for a lot of growth. And I'm not a American hater. Like I love my country yeah. and I don't think wealth is a bad thing. You can listen to episode two. We actually talk about that. But I do think when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that was kind of our thing in America. That's the thing that we, a lot of us were blind to that we could have been way more disconnected to the the grind of wealth and acquiring than what I, we should yeah. have been. I, I think I think yes in the sense of more the acquiring. I don't think so much in the generosity side. Rather, 
everyone is going to have that moment. I think almost everyone is going to realize I could have given so much more. I think Americans are actually a very generous people. I think really our problem is the acquiring of stuff. Not the acquiring of money, the acquiring of stuff. Like everyone has so much trash. Like I think about all the time, it's like, I, like you ever walk in your house, like I want to get rid of all of this. <laughs> Why do I have these things? It's going to be less, I think, for Americans money than look at all of the things you filled your life with that, you, that didn't need to be there. I think that's going to be more of the uh, moment. All right. Well, when they start coming out with suits, I'm basically coming to you. Absolutely. I, that, you know, I had never thought about that before, but I'm kind of excited. <laughs> So I have to admit that when I looked up Togo, I knew Togo was in Africa, but geographically, I could not have told you anywhere close where Togo was. But when I looked it up, I saw it was right next to Ghana and no big deal. I've been to Ghana Come before. On. How about that? Yeah, yeah, next door neighbors. Yeah, we, Priscilla, my wife, was the volunteer coordinator at Habitat for Humanity here in Charleston, Sea Island Habitat was one of the biggest contributors to the habitat in Ghana. And so we were able to go there and, and build some houses and quite an experience. That's awesome. You could have gotten to Togo in about 30 minutes from Ghana, right yeah. right yeah. there. What's like a good comparison as far as states in America and the size of Ghana and Togo? Like, are they about the size of North and South Carolina? Do y'all have any guesses? <laughs> yeah, I I think the last time that I heard someone talk about it is it's about the size of, of South um, Carolina in k- kilometers versus miles. It's just longer and thinner, there you, you know, go. so it's a very long, thin country. One of the smaller countries for sure in Africa, right? Pastor Francis, is it one of the smallest? Have you ever had French fry on your plate? I have had a French fry. You just pick one of them and look at it. And then you look at the size of Togo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Definitely shaped like that. Now, are we talking the crinkly kind or the McDonald's thin kind? <laughs> <laughs> Being a part of Seacoast for so long, I've heard Francis and Benedict tons of times. I know the basics, and I would love to just hear how you two met, how the idea was birthed. Somewhat of a snapshot. I don't want you to feel like you have to rush through it, but yeah, well. But Francis probably has a different perspective on it than me, but I can start with my perspective because he will not hype himself up at all. So so you get to brag on him. Yeah, I get to brag on him a little bit, but I had always felt called to missions and doing overseas mi- missions and ministry. Josh and I were going to do that. Got married, got pregnant. Josh felt called to the church. So after college, I really didn't go on another missions trip for about 10 years while we were building our family. But I was pretty involved with local missions at Seacoast. And really, anytime the global missionaries would come in, I would be like at the coffees, at the desserts. Yeah, I just wanted to know them. I had heard of Francis and Benedict before, as well as lots of our global partners. But I finally got the opportunity to lead a trip. But before I led it, Jody McCall, the missions pastor, was like, I think you need to go on a trip to Africa before you're leading a trip. That's wisdom for sure. <laughs> so I ended up going on a trip with her where she had a lot, it was kind of a vision trip. So she had a lot of people that would be leading trips. And a lot of them were businessmen. 
And when we got to Togo, our partners there were talking a lot about sustainability because, you know, most people know, but NGOs, if they're based on funding that happens in America, incredible leaders will build out the program model that can change in a minute. The minute that you shift staffing structures or you just decide, you know, we're not going to give 75000 there this year. Their whole model is is changed or shifted. I mean, I understood the basics of economic, you know, giving them space in the global market. But really, I was just thinking about counseling. I heard about them. You know, they were, Benedict was had widows and orphans in her home. They had been doing ministry with street children 20 years before that. But I also met about 70 other incredible couples and leaders. And Benedict is one of the quieter women in the group. Is that fair to say, Francis? And she wasn't English speaking. Yeah. Met a lot of women that were like getting their PhD or leading conferences. So Katie, real t- quick, when you say Francis and Benedict right now, you're oh, referring yeah. to the two people. The two people. That's right. Francis and Benedict, two real humans <laughs> that live in Togo, West Africa. And so on that trip, I was drawing dresses that I wanted to have made because I've always liked clothes and fashion. Just for fun? Just for fun. You know, I was literally drawing them out during the business meetings and I felt a little bit of shame about it. So I threw it away. I was like, why am I thinking about clothes (laughs) in Africa? And um, Katie's way of doodling. (laughs) Exactly. That's literally what was happening. And Jody McCall, thankfully found it in the trash and came up to me and was like, Hey, you should have this dress made. You know, this it's fine. And she gave me so much freedom from that moment on and has for seven years since then. But you know, that was kind of what that trip consisted of. I was not thinking about me having any part in those business ventures or anything like that. I was pretty focused on the trip I was going to take, but I was definitely struck by several things. One, the beauty and that I saw in the women of Togo, you know, Benedict and among many other women were so inspiring. They were dressed honestly to the nines. I I always thought like, why do we come over on these missions trips wearing like t-shirts and clothes we would never wear when they're like showing up, you know, (laughs) they're dressing. But I was also struck by the lack of opportunity. There was a girl that caught my eyes on the street and I've definitely thought about her and seen her face every day, you know, for seven years. So I, I saw a hopelessness in her eyes of what happens when there's no education, there's no sustainable job, there's no opportunity. And so on the plane ride home, I just basically wrote in my journal, God, if you can use me in any small way, please use me. But I got home and about a month later, I started having dreams about this company. I could see the skirts. I could see the name Francis and Benedict. And that was actually really important because like I said, I had met 70, over 70 pastors, you know, and their wives. So I knew who we were supposed to partner with. And I knew it wasn't like a corporate thing. I knew it was one couple. And this is around 2015? Yep. This is August of 2015. So I emailed Benedict. I didn't know she couldn't speak English. So she immediately forwards it to Francis and tells me she'll pray about it and fast for seven days, which she did. And then she emailed me back after a week and said, I've prayed about it. Um, Pastor Francis is in Orlando and he's there just today. If you can get down to Orlando and kind of pitch them him this idea. How exhaustive was the document that you sent her or the email? Like, was it pretty specific, pretty meticulous? Great question. No, it was, I don't even know what was that original document, Pastor Francis. I think I said, I'd love to have, you know, us employ like two to three women and then make skirts. Did I even say skirts? Because see, at that time, <laughs> Before they said yes, the way we really started was we got 15 people to give $1,500. And that bought our first sewing machines. And one of those people was Seacoast because they pitched in $1,500 to buy bracelets that we were going to make.
date for the Chosen Conference. So I don't even know if we started with skirts. Let's get sewing machines and make these bracelets. From there, we started with the first skirts. We got 400 pre-orders. It was basically like, will you buy a skirt that you've never seen? They didn't know the fabric. They didn't know the style. They just really invested in you know the dream, the idea of it. And so um, I drove with a friend to Orlando and had 15 minutes with Francis before he went to the airport and drove him to the airport and basically just pitched him this idea. A girl who has no, knows nothing about business or, you know, international business in that way. And Francis, do you remember exactly even like any of what I said? Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing this. Uh, when you came, you just said, uh, you totally told me about what you just said when you were drawing in Togo after you had a dream. I asked the question, why me? And you said, specifically, you had the name Francis and Benedict. That's why you wanted to talk to me. I didn't even think about that. So in your dream, you heard and saw the business name Francis and Benedict. So that implied Pastor Francis's role. That's right. Wow. Yeah. That, that's the only way I really would have even known that it was a one-on-one. Because, you know, in the church world, we do things so corporately. I didn't have any kind of idea of business. Looking back now, seven years ago, it would not have worked corporately. It's cost so much, so much sacrifice from Francis and Benedict. Hopefully, you know, myself and Josh, we really had to get that one-on-one strong relationship solidified to get out what we feel like God had called us to, you know? Do you guys think about that first conversation and I would imagine how well you know each other now? Looking back, you barely knew each other, right? Oh, my goodness. I think it's just amazing to get to see where we are today because I didn't think I really even know Kitty being part of Seacoast other than seeing her on the trip when they came to Togo. And I didn't have even conversation with her. I didn't spend any time with her to talk maybe one-on-one to get to know her better. Mm -hmm. So my first time to be able to sit and talk with her is... Less than 15, I can say about 15 minutes talk when she drove to Orlando and shared with me the idea. I said, this is an answer to prayers because since 1987, we have been working with the street children and orphans and God has told us specifically what is happening today. So I was surprised when she came in. So I didn't want to do anything outside of God. That's why I said, I need to know that this is a confirmation from God. It's interesting looking back over that time. We definitely didn't know each other, but in seven years, we had this, I don't know, person of peace, chemistry really early on. I always felt, you know, vulnerable, safe with him. We were able to talk about things from the very beginning, finances, financials, what's our mission, what's our heart. But we've definitely had marking moments over the seven years that have taken us to new places of trust with each other. There's been several of them I can think of. Early on, I was staying in his home when I would come over because the, the whole business was in his home. I would, you know, as early as I can remember, 4.35 a.m., there would be so many people there just getting discipled by him and Benedict. They, it was really reminded me of, you know, how it must have been for Jesus in those days of the gospel. Like he would be up at 4.35 and men are just crowded or among his steps, like to hear from him. And the seamstresses that we would begin to hire, but I had been watching Benedict care for them, you know, taking food to them, or there's just so many marking moments over the time that I was like, Lord, how humbling that you have allowed me to partner with these people. And, and it's grown from there, from places of him and Benedict even recently have given to our family 
for Anna Jay, for her needs. I mean, it's just, I could tell you story after story. The first time that we ever made our first like $8,000 of profit, Francis, you remember this. We yeah. were at the we were at an art conference, art and conference. we were yeah. we were gathered around with like all the missionaries. We're sitting with the global missionaries, which you know, in my version, was like sitting with Oprah. I just really felt like I've arrived that I could like <laughs> hang out with these guys, and I really felt like God said you're supposed to give it away to each one of them, two thousand per person. I came to Francis and was like, I know this is crazy, but I feel like we're supposed to give away the first eight thousand to all these other countries, and he was like, Yes. Yes, we are. Like from the least, God's going to use us to resource. We pulled together with those teams and and prayed over that gift, you know, and they were going to Switzerland and to places that had way less need potentially than Togo. But I knew from that moment, like, okay, God, this is a special relationship. You've definitely given him, you know, Pastor Francis, a heart of generosity and me so that you can resource the people that you've called us to, you know, if we can stay true to that mission, all everything's God's, you know, and then I really think there's so much he could do, you know, at times where we've had to be really vulnerable, you know, frustrated with each other and get through those. So it's definitely gone to new places of trust, I would say, and real family. But even early on, we had a a, a closeness that was just had to have been from the Lord. So Francis and Benedict, you guys are married. Yeah. Okay. See, I I, I I didn't know. And then I know when, I tell the story like people no, it's just fine. know. It's Francis fine. and Benedict. I'm just thinking of our listeners. That's my job. It's not y'all's job. That's right. And then <laughs> yeah. is the main thrust of what you guys are doing is providing a means of income for women in Togo? Yeah. So the main the main vision is a sustainable job so that basically they are secure. You know, these women know I have a job that loves me, that cares for me, that provides well enough that I can provide for my own kids. It's one thing to like come over and keep giving children school fees and, and pay for all of that. But for these women to know that I have an incredible job and I'm providing for others even through that job. That's the main heart of the business. But to do that, you know, it takes paying them a fair and equitable wage for what they're making, but then also returning the profits back to them. You know, just like what happens here in the U.S., when you make a product that's incredible, you receive the benefits of that product. And so that's the heart of the business. Well, what happened, we started as a nonprofit, but as our sales continue to grow And we have what's called advocates. So they advocate literally for the women in Togo by selling these items, but they make 20% on each sale. So then we couldn't stay in a nonprofit model. So we basically had to split it for a nonprofit and a for-profit. So the for-profit is still owned by the nonprofit. You know, the profits would still go to the nonprofit. But what we were able to see with the nonprofit is, oh my goodness, people love to give, especially directed to a place where you know there's so much heart and hustle. It's a business model. It's equitable. It's sustainable. So at the nonprofit, we've been able to do, you know, move beyond just the 14 seamstresses. And we have a lot of vision with the nonprofit for further impact in Togo. But with the seamstresses, being able to provide things like healthcare, education for their kids, transportation, nutrition, you know, meals for them, that helps them really break these cycles of poverty so they really can start to have new levels of security. Now, legally, would they be considered employees? That's a great question. Yes. So, Francis, you can speak to that on the Togo side. On the Togo side, we registered as an NGO. So those who are working here now are employees. 
like the the staff that is working for the sewing and all that. But when we'll be able to put department, then they'll be able to have like partners that will be involved into what is being done. So at this stage, they are employees because of what they are doing, the business side of it. And and how many are employed? 13 of them here right now. 13 women yeah. who now have a steady income to take care of their families. Yeah, maybe, maybe adding to what Katie just said, you just need to picture in your head when you spend your lifetime being talked down without bringing any resource home, without contributing. And suddenly, you will be able to bring you know, food on the table. You, will be, you are now included in the family meeting. When there's a decision, then your opinion is being asked. Like, you know, you are sure that your student school fees is going to be paid and they'll go to school, lunch will be on the table. That's something that's the goal we we had, and that is what we are doing right now. So it creates stability and sustainability in the mind of these people. And we have in mind that God willing to be able to duplicate this in other parts of the country to help these vulnerable women to have confidence in themselves and we'll be able to bring hope to the hopeless. And let's back up a little bit. What would be the average standard of living and maybe give some examples of extreme poverty? I I like to tell people that you really come to Togo for the people. You know, it's not a country with a lot of natural resources like Kenya, um, where there's not safaris, you know, animals like that. Um, They do have natural resources, but most things are being imported to Togo. So one of the things that was really striking and sad to me was when I was out on the coast one day with Francis, and there's just lines of container ships all being imported. And there's so few, you know, exports of their natural resources. And so when you think about a country like that, you know, you just think there's such so many incredible people that have so many crafts and so much artistry to to give to the world. And it's just not happening from an export standpoint. Francis, you can speak to more of the fact that there's not like a great middle class in Togo. So that's a big problem. Yeah, I think, as you said, it's a bit challenging. We have classes like the upper class and the lower class. And the majority is the lower class. I, I, I just want you to picture... A situation where you wake up in the morning, you don't know where your meal will come from. You don't have running water, which is safe water. Some may live in a condition where there's no electricity. Just imagine when you are sick and you are taken to hospital. And when you get to the hospital, there's no first aid. Most of the people, when they are sick, it's difficult for them to go to the health center which is also another case. They prefer turning to herbs and try for automedications, buying some drugs at, you know, on the streets just because of lack of resources. So if you cannot pay your children's school fees, uh, the government has made effort for primary schools, which is official primary schools, to be free from a few years now. But the question is how many people are in one class? When you have a class of 120, 150 children for one teacher in classes where it's extremely hot with the noise and all that. How do you want your child to learn in that environment? So those are some of the conditions in which you find 
you know, the majority of the people. And especially for the, the girls in that environment, it's the boys also, but for the girls, oftentimes you can't even stay in school past first or second grade because your family needs you to care for other children while your parents are working, go out to the street and beg for food. When you're in that kind of level of poverty, education is so such a privilege, you know, that number one, it's hard to rise out of 125 students with a teacher that, you know, doesn't always even have to be there. Right. But number two, to be able to stay in is really difficult. And for me, you know, a lot of fashion, especially over 90% of fashion in the textile industry is outsourced into other countries, usually just because of getting labor costs low. But we talk about giving people a job and how that's the foundation of equality. And it is. A job is really important to give people a sustainable wage and a fair job that they could come to. But we would start to look at even our first three seamstresses and realize that they were walking eight to 10 miles to get to work. They had no running water, you know, and they were doing it with such joy. They were so grateful to be working eight to nine hours with a baby on their back and sewing, you know, each item. But you just can't imagine coming from such a seat of privilege that a job is one step, but it's just one step, you know, in order to really get them to a more secure, stable lifestyle, you have to start to think through things like running water and transportation, a different level of education for their kids. You know, I'll never forget. I was in Haiti and we were visiting a classroom and there was a young lady. She could not have been more than like 12 years old. And she had her infant younger sibling with her. She's in school learning and taking care of her little sibling. And I thought it was the sweetest thing. I was a little hesitant because I didn't want to make her uncomfortable, but I kind of like signaled if I could hold the the little tyke and she allowed me to, but probably every three minutes she turned around, just make sure her little brother or sister, I don't remember just to make sure he or she was okay with the sweetest thing. So I, I've been to Haiti, Ghana. I come back, I go back to my normal life, hopefully change for the better, but you're invested on a more day-to-day. How are you informed when it comes to processing, I would call lavish lifestyle here in America? Not all, but I would call middle-class, you know, it's kind of lavish compared to what you see in Togo. How do you process that and how does it affect y'all's lifestyle as a Walters family? Wow. Well, it's constantly a process. I don't think I have arrived. I hope I won't ever get to the point where I feel settled in it. There's many trips to Togo where I'll just look out the window and just tears, you know, will stream down my face because I feel like there's so much need and I feel strengthened in those moments by watching Francis and Benedict, you know, and even we've gotten close to the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador. And this last trip when she was there coming to visit the shop, she strengthened me because I thought, you know what? She can't change everything. She's still having to play her role. She's having to go to all these diplomatic dinners, but she's having to play her role and do her part while the season that she's on tour for here in Togo, you know? So I feel strengthened when I go to Togo about our little place of impact. And that helps a lot because when you get back home, you get farther away from the mission and the heart of it. And all the other parts of running a business, wondering if I'm doing it wrong, how do I do it better? So it's really a a realignment for sure when I actually get back to Togo and I'm at the heart of it. And I see 
that honestly, the riches are not the on the U.S. side are not the riches that we all long for. They really are the things that will burn away. But the stuff that we all long for, the peace, the joy, the the fortitude, the mental toughness, that is what they have in Togo. It's so much spiritual riches. And so it really helps me to operate in the U.S., even in a culture of lavish riches and lifestyle that I enjoy and partake in to, you know, remind myself that it's not actually the stuff of my life that brings me joy. And they have all that regardless of if they have physical resources. So it's definitely a process. It's a process for us with our kids because we hope one day that we'll be in Togo every summer. That's like our dream is that we could really experience having them there for longer periods of time. But And Abigail, my oldest daughter, is going to Togo this fall. She's going to be living with Francis and Benedict for a semester. And she'll have even more of a taste than I will of like understanding the culture. You know, even though I've been like 40-some times, it's all been for just a week or so. It's definitely a process that I'm constantly having to to shift my focus on, especially where we live, because Mount Pleasant is, as you know, very affluent, very, very affluent. Yeah. I think Katie, even personally, it's a reminder of us always being in need of a savior, because I don't think I'll ever be as selfless as I could be, go without as much as I could. And I just need Jesus's grace. And hopefully along the way, I, I get more and more selfless. And, and, I, and I need to also take to heart Romans 8, 1, that I'm not under condemnation as that journey takes place. But man. The wild thing, Joey, is he and Francis tells me this all the time, but Jesus is so kind for the culture we live in. Like when we got to our new shop in um, Togo, and it has Oreos in it. It has my hair dye in it. I, it had wine in there. And I was like, Francis, look at all this stuff. You know, he's like, they would never consider any of that in Togo. Like it's, that's all extremely just indulgent, but he has such the heart of God too, that he's, you know, he doesn't ever condemn me yeah. for being a part of the culture that I'm in, you know, and so it's it represents Jesus in so many ways to work with. Priscilla and I have talked recently, and we probably, unfortunately, use the word need. But now that our oldest daughter is driving and she has a job, we need a third car. And even if it's like a, a, a crappy rundown yeah. car, yeah, we need that extra car. And here, Pastor Francis is talking about waking up in the morning not knowing where you're going to get your food. I even think about the fact that I'm going to go home and I'll be able to open up a refrigerator full of food we didn't finish. (laughs) And it's just there sitting, waiting. I don't know. It's helpful for me to just slow down and think about it because it. we, we say this a lot of times joking around, but it really is true. It's like first world problems. I mean, there's so many things that I'll get worried about or uptight about and it's very first world. And I'm curious, Pastor Francis, how do people in Togo reflect on this American culture that we're talking about? Uh, It's difficult to look at it from uh, other people's perspective because uh, you need to be close to people that has uh, the heart to understand, especially when you are with these lovely Americans that they understand what your culture is, what you are going through, the struggles and things, then you'll be able to put your place in their 
in their shoes, also to understand the struggles they go through. Because the situation is God that created America is the same God that created Togo. And God has not made any mistake by putting that kind of differences in it. It's like he's trying to create a kind of harmony. America has some things that Togo does not have, and Togo also have things mm. that Americans do not have. We put those things together, then it creates more of unity and harmony. I tell people that, look, when they ask, when you come to America, what do you like or what do you see? I said, have you ever been in the night and have you ever seen the daylight? Try to compare the two day and night. So there's a big difference between the two. It's difficult for you to compare the day and night because what you see in the night is different from what you see in the day. When we talk about human beings or culture, it depends on where you stand. If you're able to understand and study cultures, I want to see beyond the culture. I want to see beyond the riches, but I want to see the heart of the people because I've been around people that their heart is after God. So they are not after the riches of America. They are not after the world's things they have. Even we have people that have, we don't know personally, but because they heard about what we are doing, their hearts went in front and they yeah. were so generous. Even the first people to give money to start this Francis and Benedict, people give money for sewing machines, to be able to create sustainability for women they don't know. The riches of America don't look at the culture because every part of the world has its own up and downs. But I look at the heart of people, these wonderful people that I'm around that get to know us better. They are wonderful and uh, it's something that we all need to learn mm-hmm. and move towards. Katie, is he constantly spewing profound, deep wisdom? Like, is this just constant. a regular thing? I mean, you should see it when you're low. I wish I could give the world the gift of Pastor Francis when you're low. I'll call him just like, why, why? Is and, you know, and it's like, well, Joseph, you know, he comes straight with a sermon every time. It's just incredible. With the sort of calling that you guys have with Francis and Benedict, y'all probably have a pretty healthy perspective on wealthy people who have their finances submitted to God. Because my guess would be that y'all benefited from those sorts of people. Oh, because for sure. I've learned more from business leaders in the past, you know, five years than about morality, about self-control, about surrender, about real faith than I have in, in many, many sermons or many small groups. I have a whole different perspective on that. You know, when we first started this, one of uh, the mentors for me, her name is Mary Probes, and she goes to Seacoast. She has one of the largest, started one of the largest candle manufacturing companies in the world. Incredible funder of missions. And she told me, she said, Katie, you like to give money away, so you're going to need to learn how to make it. And that marked me. You know, she was like, if you don't want to ask for it all the time, you need to learn how to make it. And there's so many people of wealth and means that we found their hearts are way more surrendered, you know, than people that don't have means because they understand their call to make money and to give it and to allocate God's resources. They realize that it's not theirs and it takes a different level of surrender. I I truly believe to do that and a different level of faith and the business world in general takes so much faith and risk 
because you constantly are having to really trust God for the next things. Sure, Francis, you know, would say the same thing, but he constantly has this perspective of grace. We pray together. And just like you're talking about with the cars, you know, the same situation for us, we have right now four cars that are all in trouble. You know, and with our big family. And so just this week on Monday, I asked him to be praying with me about that, you know, and he does. He prays, you know, that God would provide. And I think for each person, no matter what God is giving you, the, you know, the call is to steward it and surrender it. It's going to be a process for every person to figure out how do I stay surrendered? How do I stay not trying to meet my own needs and my own comforts? And one other thing that was afforded us through 2020 was being able to stay and communicate together all through the pandemic. You know, I feel like we both really had a global perspective on what was happening in our world. And Francis, you know, we would use the verses that said like the rich build these walls around themselves, but actually it's only God who provides. And he would increase my faith so much because we were watching so many people that we were losing in the church. It was a devastating time for pastors to FaceTime people in the hospitals that were dying. And Pastor Francis would help remind me that honestly, all of your healthcare, all of your things, they really are walls that you've built up. But there are moments in our life where we just, you just need the Lord. You just need the faith to know that He can touch you. He can heal you. Being able to forge that path together in prayer that year was just such a blessing. I'll never forget to watch people that had no ventilators. There was no ICU in Togo. They were having to go through that pandemic with great faith that God would take care of and provide for them. And Katie, do you sense a noticeable difference amongst people, including ourselves, the circle of people that we hang out with in America where the struggle is real when it comes to you cannot serve God and money. That's like something we're grappling with all the time. Whereas in Togo, maybe that's not as a significant grapple because there's really no money to worship. Do you sense a difference in people's hearts posture because of that? Definitely. I mean, you know, the idol of money, that's that's all of our idols are wrapped up, I believe, in sex, power, and money in the U.S. And so what happens with that idol is that we start to think that it's up to us and that we have, we've provided for it. Now we have to sustain it. And I think we really do forget to bring God into it. You know, and I'm speaking honestly of myself that I was telling you about Anna Jay in college. I really felt like God gave me the word that he was going to provide for her that year, the first year of college, he was going to take care of it. You know, we, she had done scholarship after scholarship, but I really thought that we needed to handle it. We needed to take care of it. Well, that's just the idol of self, the idol of money, of self-sustainability. Whereas for Pastor Francis last year, Grace, his daughter was going to college and he was crying out to the Lord. He knew that it's only God you know, that's got her in, that's going to take care of her. It was just an increased level of faith and an idol that wasn't there. And so he really helped me this year to get through that, to say, yes, she could get student loans. Yes, that's the culture of America. But if God's told you he's going to provide, you keep asking him, you keep knocking, expect miracles. You know, I honestly cannot tell you last week we had the wildest thing happen as a family, me, Francis, Benedict, and Josh, to watch God provide for her. It was the most incredible thing right to the final day. It was due February 3rd. And on February 2nd, she was provided for, for her entire year. And it increased my faith and broke down that idol of provision that I, that I have, that I have to, you know, constantly say, 
just because culture says that this is on me or that I can hustle enough, God's word is different. And I do think it it provides a different level of stress and anxiety um, because of that. And I, I'm honestly saying me as the example, I, I told Francis last year, I didn't sleep super well running the business. I just felt like I was thinking about it a lot in the night and really struggling over problems. And I read a verse from Proverbs that said, the reward of a righteous man for his labor is good sleep. And I told Francis, like, I'm done. I'm giving it to God. The reward of a righteous man, just meaning somebody who is in Christ, is good sleep. That if we have real faith in him, we should be sleeping, knowing that it's up to him and that he's got us. And so I do think it's all across our culture, that problem. From the spiritual level, sin is sin. Having mammon at this place of God is like having idols here in our continent taking the place of God. It is important for us to have our hearts circumcised, to be able to release everything and give it to God, bring it to the cross. Your struggles are your struggles, and other people also have struggles. So we look at it from different angles. It's still a struggle that is taking us away from God, which is a sin. So, yes, it's challenging as a pastor to look at it that, oh, this is an issue. But how do we go about it? How do we handle that situation? It's the same way that we'll be able to handle, like, fame, power, sex, idols, We'll be able to handle that and just bring it before the cross mm-hmm. and say, Lord, this is my struggle. Instead of just being outside and look at this, oh, look at this person is struggling with money issue. He's greedy. He's just running after money. We know that there are other things that are pushing the people into that direction. So we just need to pray and put ourselves in their shoes and understand what it is and help people look at it from one other perspective, which is God is the provider. We should not be struggling just to have the money. But if you have the money, there should be a purpose for it, is to increase the kingdom, to advance Mm -hmm. the kingdom, especially as Christians. Because the love of money is the root of all kind of sin. Yes, sir. When you come to America, are there any snacks or activities that you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm in America. I got to... Uh, really, you know, I get a lot of friends and now we are not just friends. We are more than families. When I get to US, I'm just at home. So I feel at home and everybody wants me to get what I, I want or I need. So it's not like I'm craving for anything anymore because I'm always been provided for, always want to bring things on my way to make me feel, hey, you need this, have it. This is something that we can provide for you. It's very important to really thank God for the life of France and Benedict team in the States. People, our sponsors, also those who buy our skates, because they are not just buying skates, they are changing lives. I want to really underline this, because it's very important to see one of our seamstress who was with us, her name was Aikinam, who was living virtually on the streets. But because of generous people buying skates, we have been able to get a house furnished with bed, television, 
table chair for her to move from nowhere to a fence house where she and her family are secure. There's another lady, because we're on internet with another faith, join Francis and Benedict now. She prays with us. She's living in the building that we bought for Francis and Benedict. She has been abandoned by the family, but now she is the key decision maker of the family. They can't hold a family meeting without her being there. Because of her provision, now she has a sustainability job. She has been able to provide for the family. And when the cousins needed school fees, she has been able to contribute. And the family now look at her as part of them that can make a decision. We also have this lot of women like this out there that are still waiting to join Francis and Benedict. Your support, buying of skirts or items, is going to provide sustainability job, dignity, and give hope to this type of event. Yeah, so we'll definitely have a link in the show notes. So basically, the more skirts that are bought, the more ladies that are employed. Yeah, that's right. On the nonprofit side, you know, the goal is even even more sustainability and security for them this year. So we've been doing a lot of fundraising for a big surprise that's coming in December. There's so much impact that's happening just one-on-one life. And then I would say closest example to me of a woman's life that has been changed has been mine. I just can't tell you like what a gift it is to connect with Francis and Benedict and to be able to do a partnership with them. And so I just would want to encourage anybody that's listening that feels like they have call on their life or something they're supposed to be obedient to that I didn't realize how much I would need this work to kind of work things out in me and gave give has given me so much purpose and also sanctification things that I just really needed God to do in my heart it's just honestly been such an honor and I know that that's what the advocates who sell these skirts believe too it's what people who go on mission trip you know you really can't outgive God so there's so much more that comes back to you for any act of obedience to him and I definitely am a testimony of that for sure Katie from a fashion perspective these long beautiful skirts, do they transcend generations stylistically? Or will there ever be a time when people are like, I mean, I want to support them, but man, I'd never wear a skirt like that. It's so true. (laughs) Have you thought about having to improvise? Yes, I really hope so. You know, it's first design God gave us is a design and the A-line skirt that's been around, you know, hundreds of years. So I do think there's some classic to the style that And because there's different links that probably will translate, hopefully for a long, long time. But we have started doing new products. So this year we have new products every month that are dropping from dresses to crop tops to, you know, other items in wax print that hopefully speak to people in different ways. But it's Francis and I both heart that this is a legacy business. You know, they say that there's two types. There's one that you try to sell, you know, and you hustle as much as you can and then sell it. And when it's a legacy, you really hope that the next generation or whoever takes the baton is pivoting 
a lot. They're going to have to, <laughs> you know, so I hope there's a day where I look back and think, wow, we never saw them making that. We are great for whatever product God, you know, uses to bring out and, and get profit. I think we're both willing to to do whatever he asks. Well, I'm thanking God alongside you. You know, the the thing from the beginning of our conversation that stands out is it, it's got to feel good to know you're just doing exactly what God wants you to do. I mean, with that supernatural dream and the connection between you both, can't be anything like it. A, a joy, for sure. It's crazy oh. humbling. Right? Awesome. Thank That's y'all both. Great. Thank you, Joey. Nice to meet you, Pastor Francis. All right. See you, Katie. Thank you. It's my pleasure to meet you. Thanks for taking your time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. There's a link in the show notes to our podcast Facebook page where we talk about these episodes and share some behind-the-scenes information, including guests we're booking. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have a phone call that you need to take, you can say, hey, hold on for a second. I really need to take this phone call. Relax very informal conversation. Thank you very much. How did you know that I had a phone call that I needed to take? <laughs> Do you have a phone call you need to take? You know what? I can't come to U.S. without having my, my ribs. <laughs> Your what? Ribs. So to the restaurants to get like... Ribs? Yeah. Long horns. Oh, uh, yeah. Ribs. Sticky <laughs> fingers. You know, I love ribs. Oh, uh, Yeah. yeah. Well, I I vote for next time he's here, give him a bag of kettle corn popcorners. Oh, wow. kettle Man, corn popcorners. Okay, that's wow. your choice. Popcorners. That's mm. awesome. <laughs>